have to have like an intervention right here. But uh, now it's great to see you guys. You ever see something and then uh, on first glance, you think you see something, but then when you look deeper, you find out, okay, it was completely different than what I, what I thought it was. You ever find those moments? Yeah. I got a few examples of this on the screen. Like recently I saw this on the news. Um, this was evidently newsworthy. There's a guy in Milwaukee and he was approaching a tunnel. And I don't know how well you can see that, but if you look on the left side there, you'll see it looks like a hole dropping off in the tunnel. And this guy records this like Instagram video or whatever, and he's freaking out, like just, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, how, what's happening here? Like half the road has collapsed or something. In fact, as other cars approached it, they even saw what this driver saw, because they would even slow down, go to the next slide, you'll see this car kind of stopping right in front of it, like, oh, what's going on? But what it was, it wasn't a hole, it was water. And the way the, go back to the previous slide. So let's look at it again. So there we go. Look at that. It's just water. And the way the reflection hit the water had drivers kind of panicked a little bit. Or there's this picture right here, this picture of this little girl. And you look at this and you think, what's wrong with her legs? You've seen this one. And what you do is you realize what's, what's the reality here. Do you remember? Uh, you, does anybody see what's going on here? She's holding what? bag of popcorn that just happens to look like the ground behind her. But when you first glance at that, you go, holy cow, what's, what, that girl's got skinny legs. I mean, I, I love these. To me, this is exactly what the internet was made for, for me to <laughs> find pictures like this and share them with you. But it's like this one right here. Go to this next one. What's this? What's it look like? It looks like a cigarette on the ground, right? But that's actually a pole laying down outside of a store. But isn't that amazing what that looks like? Or this one. What's this look like right here? It's not a sandwich, but you're right. That's what it looks like. Anybody want to guess what it is? It's a rock. Yeah, it's actually a rock that looks like a sandwich. Or this one I love. Where's the camel's body? You're looking now, aren't you? You're like, how in the world did they get this angle on this picture? Isn't that impressive? Like the entire camel's body is hidden and all you see is a floating camel head. I love that one. Or this one, I don't know where this girl was born or whose her parents were, but looks like she was kind of crossbred. It's a centaur, exactly. <laughs> Another one of these angle things. Or this concert photo. Is that a concert? What is it? It's a field, cornfield, or a cotton field with a harvester about to go through the field. Isn't that crazy? But it looks like a, con looks like a concert, doesn't it? Or there's one more, this last one. What does that look like? You'll know what it is? It's actually chocolates wrapped up to look like Brussels sprouts. Now, at least that's what the internet is telling me. Now, I'm not sure... I trust this because after I found this picture, I did a little research and I found that one year a dad decided to play a prank on his children and actually took a box of, uh, Ferraro, what is it, Ferraro Rocher chocolates, the little round ones that look like this, and he took the chocolates out. He actually got Brussels sprouts, dipped them in chocolate, and wrapped them back up and gave them to his children. That's just me. That's just mean. That would cause a child to have trust issues 
their entire life. I'm just going to tell you, if I bit into something I thought was chocolate and it was a Brussels sprout, we would have a problem. I love these pictures. They're fascinating. I don't know who takes them. The internet's amazing to give them to us. But this is just a reminder, you know, that sometimes things are not always as they appear. And sometimes a little bit of additional information or a change in perspective can help us see things more clearly. Like some of those pictures you guys were still looking at going, I don't see it. And when somebody had had a different perspective or had seen it before, and they were able to say, oh, that's, uh, you know, that little girl's holding popcorn. You're like, oh, I can kind of see it. But, you know, it helps bring understanding. And so as we continue today in our series called uh, Today's Special, Jesus Interacting with People Around the Table, today uh, most of what we're going to see happen is actually before the table. And then uh, we see the table scene. It's really quick. A miraculous thing happens, and then the scene is over. But really what happens in this story is that exactly what we're talking about. There's a perspective on things that have happened. There's a different perspective. And will they be able to see things through the new lens? So we pick up where we kind of left off last week with the Last Supper. And we talked about that. And through the, as we progress the story forward, Jesus has been crucified. He's dead and buried. And now we come to the first Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. And the disciples are trying to figure out what happened. Now, understand, Jesus had said he was going to rise again. They didn't catch it. They didn't understand it. They were still trying to figure out exactly what was going on in this moment. And in Luke's gospel, we find one of the most vivid resurrection stories. It's really amazing. And we're going to read it in Luke chapter 24. It's kind of lengthy, but it's a really important interaction. And today, I want you to help me. We're going to do something. You know, I like the interaction. And so you're going to help me write this message a little bit. I wanted to be lazy. Didn't want to work. No, I'm just kidding. I have a message here. But I want to see what you see. I want to understand kind of what jumps out at you, what becomes significant to you in this passage. So I'm going to read through the passage once, and as I read it, I want you to think think about what images stand out to you, pay attention to the story, what's going on, what jumps out at you, what emotions or actions are significant. Put yourself in this story even. Um, What do you feel? And we're just going to listen to the Spirit as we read. We're going to read it through twice, okay? So I'm going to read it through once, give you a little time to think, and then we'll read it through again, and then you give me some of your feedback. So here we go. You ready? Luke 24, starting in verse 13. says, Now that same day, so Easter Sunday, two of them, them is two disciples, not of the original 12. These are just people that were following Jesus, okay? So two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. 
In addition, some of the women, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urgently uh, urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is near, nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Think about that for just a moment. Put yourself there. What do you see? What questions do you have? What emotions do you feel? Okay, let's read it one more time. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talk and discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, is it true? 
The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. All right, here's your part. What do you see? What stands out to you in this? Okay, they were kept. That's an interesting way to say that, isn't it? What kept them from recognizing Jesus? Yeah. Disappointment. Mm. Okay, shame. Were you going to finish there? Yeah, Disappointment. on to that thought. Disappointment. You said shame. Why do you think shame? Just because they didn't realize it. Mm. Mm. What else? Mm. They had their own image of what Jesus should look like. Hang on to that too. <laughs> what else? Yep, not the, not the named 12 or 11 at this point that we have. We got some person named Cleopas who this is the only time he appears. Some people think there's a name Cleopas and John, but most commentaries say these were two different people. So this is the only instance of this guy and whoever he's traveling with. And there's a lot of debate over that if it was another you know, male disciple or possibly some people believe it was his wife that was traveling with him. That would make sense that she doesn't get a name because in that time... You didn't most of the time, so. If it wouldn't have been Peter, he would have never gone anywhere. Mm, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing, too. Why did they invite him in? You know, primarily, and I think it may be in my notes later, it was kind of understood that it, you, you didn't travel at night back then, you know. And we see in the story, it was the sun was going down, it was getting night, and roads were dangerous. And so it could be that their invitation to him wasn't, out of necessarily great hospitality, but it's like, oh, it's dangerous out there. Why don't you stay with us so you don't get killed kind of thing. Anything else? He appeared on his bonds. You know, mm. they, they said, where are we? Living under a rock? And, then, and they aren't struck by, you know, he later opens the scriptures in yep. a way that they, you know, he's crazy because yep. oh. he's been through the prophets and they don't even connect. Well, if he's out of it, then how does he know all this? Yep. And that's, to me, that's almost a little point of comic relief in the story because, yeah, they're like, where have you been? How do you not know what's going on? Everybody knows what's going on. And, and so, yeah, such a powerful moment there. I think Jesus is having fun with them, honestly. <laughs> Anything else? Yep. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because, yeah, it says that he talked to them about Moses through the prophets. And so, basically, their scriptures at the time were the Old Testament. That's all they had. And so, but Jesus kind of, and I'll, I'll say this again later, but just what he did was in that moment, he took the writings of Moses, which would have been the Torah, you know, Genesis through, you know, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five. And then you keep going forward with the major and the minor prophets and even chronicles and those things. And what's interesting is 
Jesus isn't just grabbing, well, what about this verse and this verse? The, the way Luke presents this is he's, he's actually telling them, like, if you look at the entire story that has been written in the Old Testament, it points to, to, to the Messiah. It's not just one or two places. It, this is God's grand narrative that's being written. In fact, in this fall, we're going to revisit a series we did about eight or nine years ago called uh, The Big Story of God, where we're going to do that very thing. We're going to trace this incredible story of God from Genesis to, the, to Revelation to see God is just writing this incredible narrative. And uh, Jesus is such a key, he's the climax of it, but then we take part in the story as well. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful. There's a lot here, isn't there? There's a lot we can pull from this, you know, and uh, I, I, I asked that last question, what do you think keeps them from seeing Jesus? We're really not told, but Dolo, I think you hit on one of the reasons why they weren't able to see Jesus. It's that they were just, they had this incredible disappointment. They were incredibly disappointed. They had put all their eggs in the Jesus basket, and with the crucifixion, that was done. There was no more of this, well, what if? They had thought it was over. In fact, I don't know if these words stuck out to you, but in verse 21, you look and you see that they, they actually said, Cleopas says, we had hoped. But we had hoped. And is there anything sadder that you can say to refer to hope in the past tense? To look at things now and go, well, that, that hope is gone. I mean, they were all in. Their hopes were dashed. They were disappointed. And what they thought was going to be was dead and buried. And now that body was even missing. And so they're bewildered and disappointed. They believed that Jesus, in Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah. But the breakdown occurred in the, I think somebody said this, in the Messiah they expected him to be versus the Messiah he came to be. These people were looking for a Roman, uh, somebody to get rid of the Roman occupation. They were ready for freedom and that's what they wanted. And remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about how it was very common for them to look at Jesus as a new Moses. That when Jesus broke the bread with the 5,000, there was kind of this image of manna from heaven and, and Jesus being this new Moses. And so if they had this idea of a new Moses, what did Moses do? You guys remember? Moses was the leader that led the people out of slavery, out of bondage, out of exile into the promised land. And so that's what they were thinking Jesus was going to be. Here is the new Moses. He was going to bring new liberation, new exodus, not, not spiritually, but they were looking for it politically and nationally. And that's, that's where their eyes are. But in the crucifixion, as something I read this week said, it said, the exile was continuing. God had not forgiven their sins, and the godless Romans were still going to be running the world. You put yourself in that position, believing those things. How do you feel? Disappointed, right? But probably not just disappointed. You're, awfully, you're probably also sad. You're also probably let down. You're probably also angry. How, did I, how could I have wasted my time? How could he have said what he said? How could I have bought, been you know, bought in to this idea, but it probably wasn't just disappointment they were feeling. There was more because they probably were also discouraged. And I kind of use two different words here because I think disappointment looks towards the past, the things we were hoping for, but they're also discouraged for the future. You see, because they had no plan B, 
These guys are like, do you see it says they're downcast. They're like struggling here. They're trying to figure it out. They're not just hopeless about the past. They're hopeless about the future. No plan B because any hope they had for the future died with Jesus on the cross. And so here's this discouragement. And they failed to understand God's plan. And in this moment, as they've walked on the road and they failed to see Jesus, they failed to see how anything other than what they desired could be better. They thought, this is what I want, so this has to be the best plan. This has to be the best option. And when that goes away, you know, there's the discouragement. They wanted the Roman oppressors gone. They wanted political freedom. They wanted political control. And how could anything be better than that? But what God was trying to show them, what Jesus was trying to teach them in this moment, what, that his plan was never to, teach, uh, to deliver them from suffering, that his plan was going to redeem them through suffering. And you see the difference there? We want the deliverance from suffering. We want the deliverance that says, I don't ever have to go through anything challenging or difficult. And Jesus' whole plan, his whole death on the cross was pointing them to say, look, I'm going to do something amazing, but it's not going to be just snapping my fingers and all the bad things go away. It's going to be actually through the worst thing that you can possibly imagine. And that's going to be how my redemption comes to you. A redemption better, greater than political redemption or national redemption. It is going to be spiritual redemption, spiritual freedom that is being brought to you. And what they thought was pretty bleak and all the hope Jesus is trying to say, no, 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 look, there's something better. Reading through this this week, we could probably see some other elements too. I don't know if you caught this, but it's hard to see in the NIV translation, but there was a little disagreement going on on the road. When it talks about the word that says they discussed on the road, that actually behind it means to debate or to argue or to quibble. This conversation these two people were having on the road, it was an intense emotional interaction. What had happened? Where's his body? A traumatic weekend like this would certainly put anyone on edge, and they were no different. But could it be that in their debate and their disagreement, they were so focused on finding a solution or making a point or being right that even when Jesus comes up, they miss Jesus in that moment. And one final thing I saw here was disbelief. Disbelief. And who could blame them? I mean, I'm not sitting here casting you know, rocks at them. They'd seen Jesus raise others from the dead, but to raise yourself was something totally different. The women had told them a story that Jesus was alive, and they were amazed by this, but could they really believe it? I mean, after all, it said, others ran to the tomb. They saw it was empty, but they did not see Jesus. A person alive would certainly have been nice confirmation to this story, wouldn't it? And even though they describe who Jesus was and how uh, uh, to the, uh, explain it to Jesus himself, you notice what he said to them? What's he say? He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Foolish meaning an unwillingness to use your brain to understand and slow to believe something worthy of being trusted. Jesus kind of really puts his finger on what's going on, doesn't he? But what's amazing about this moment is that even with some criticism of their unbelief and the missing the point of Jesus' life and death, Jesus begins to talk with them as they walk along. Jesus begins to share the story. And so it's about an act, depending on their pace, 
seven miles, about an hour and a half to two and a half hours, you know, depending on how relaxed they are, Jesus begins to unfold that story we were just talking about, this grand narrative. And he does. He goes back to the beginning and he traces it all the way forward. And he shares just the scripture they would have been familiar with to say, but let me point out here the things you don't see. And he begins to reveal himself. And Jesus tells them what they've seen and experienced may not be the only way to interpret something that has happened. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, as he points to the scripture and he brings it forward, he's telling them, just because you think that's the best and only way something can happen or the way to interpret what has happened, there can be another way to see it. See what I did there? Another way to see it they couldn't see? Yep. As we think about this moment, we know from later reading that something began to stir within them. It says their hearts began to burn. They began to think, are we telling ourselves the wrong story? Could God's plan be, could this be God's plan all along? Could Jesus really be alive? And as they get to the house, we see that Jesus does what he does over and over in Luke's gospel. He shares a meal with them. Now, Jesus is invited in, as we said, most likely because they didn't want him to be injured on the journey. Jesus, this is another confusing part of the story. Jesus then functions as host because typically the person that would break the bread and say the blessing or give thanks would be the host. Why is Jesus at the head of the table? Maybe he just took it over. But in that moment, he does what he's done a million times, at least many times, seven times so far, or this is the eighth time in, in Luke. He breaks the bread, he gives thanks, and he begins to give it to him. And in that moment, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I mean, wouldn't you love to know and experience what's happening? It's a flood of emotions. Yeah, you probably feel shame. You probably feel stupid. It's like, how did I not? How could he have walked with us for two and a half hours? He's sitting here with dinner, and we didn't even know who he was. But in that moment, whatever kept them from seeing was removed, and they saw the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> and then he's gone, just like that, just disappeared. And I love how it's like, oh, we got to go tell the others. It's not like you get, well, they sat around for an hour and went, did that just happen? Were we hallucinating? Did we eat some bad bread? You know, what's going on here? How is, how is it that he was here, now he's not? But no, they just want to go back and tell the others. So let's, let's wrap this up. I'd love to criticize these disciples. I'd love to look at him and say, God, you guys are so foolish, so dumb. How could you be so dense and miss Jesus? But yet, as I read this story, I often wonder how many times I've done the same thing in my own life. Where I know that the resurrected Jesus is a part of my life. He's with me. He saved me. He's redeemed me. Yet I'm going through something difficult. I don't understand what's happening. And in the midst of that, I look around and I can't see Jesus I think sometimes I do that. I wonder, why is he not here with me through this? And sometimes we have to go through things. Sometimes it's because of our choices, and sometimes it's because we live in a broken world. And sometimes going through it is what helps develop character in us to make us look more like Jesus and draw us closer to God. But just because we can't see Jesus doesn't mean he's absent from the situation. It doesn't mean he's not with us. And I think that's an important point to this story. That no matter what we're going through, Jesus can seem so far away. And yet in reality, he's right beside us the entire time.
Another thing I love is that, as I said with uh, what you said, Mitzi, there's kind of that comic relief moment. What are you talking about? You know, Jesus, are you live under a rock? <laughs> That's actually what I put in my notes. You said that, Mitzi. How could you possibly not know? And then Jesus says this. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. So after he asked that first question, you see what he did again? He asked a second question. He says, what things? <laughs> Jesus, always kind of funny right there. I wonder how often, though, in our engagements with other people, are we less like Jesus and more, I don't know, like people who have all the answers? We join people on their journey who are disappointed and discouraged, maybe disbelieving and even possibly disagreeable. And our approach is the opposite of Jesus. Instead of walking in their story with them, we want to put the Band-Aid on their story. And so we jump right in and we say, well, let me just tell you about Jesus. And yet Jesus sets for us an example here where he asks these questions, where he takes a moment to figure out, and he knew it already, but he models it for us, who they are and what are they experiencing. Isn't that amazing? That he knew to ask the perfect questions in that moment. We need to begin more of our interactions with those outside the church, with those that maybe don't know or follow Jesus. We need to begin those things with questions. As one author I read this week put it, only as we enter into their stories, their hopes, and their disappointments will our message connect and have meaning. Otherwise, the resurrection, Jesus, will always sound incredible or glib. And isn't that the truth? In my studies this week, one, this is kind of a fun note, one commentary pointed out said, um, as this meal was taking place, there's pictures back to the first meal in Genesis chapter 3, where you see the story of Eve and Adam, and she takes the fruit, and she eats, and then Adam eats, and, and then it says in Genesis 3, it says, and then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. In the first meal, we have the Bible uh, opening their eyes, but in doing so, brought about a curse, and sin and death, and exile and bondage. But in this meal, the first meal in the new creation, or the new kingdom, everything was reversed. The curse was broken, death had been defeated, freedom and peace were now available with God. There's one theologian I read this week, and he points out, he says that this is the eighth meal in Luke's gospel. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. The Last Supper was the seventh, and in Scripture, numbers kind of mean things, and seven is the number of completion. The world was created in six days, and on the seventh, God rested. And he says, the Last Supper was the, the last of the old kingdom, but the week of the first creation... Uh, is over, and Easter is beginning of the new creation. God's new world order has arrived. Exile is over, not just Israel's exile, but the human race. And it's easy for us to see this story and think, why couldn't they see Jesus? But as we've said before, I think the question for us is, can you see Jesus? In whatever you're going through and whatever you're experiencing, can you see Jesus? And maybe today is just nothing more than a reminder that he's with you. You know, one constant concern I have about Americanized Christianity, evangelical world, is we don't see or experience Jesus because we keep looking for that Jesus that we want, the one we think we want, the one that looks like us and talks like us and, and believes exactly like us. I think that's what the disciples were experiencing. 
And it's not so far-fetched that we might be experiencing the same. We created Jesus that isn't real, and when we look for him, we're baffled by why he isn't there. But the real Jesus is there. He just challenges what we're thinking. He challenges what we believe. He's trying to bring us beyond what we think we know into a new realm, into the new kingdom, in the new covenant. But as long as we continue to try to find that Jesus that looks like us, we're going to continue to find him hidden from our eyes. But if we're willing to drop our ideology, our expectations, if we read the Gospels and we see who Jesus really is, not through a political lens, but through a scriptural lens to try to understand, then and only then can we really see and understand who the real Jesus is. Jesus was traveling with these people for two plus hours, and they missed it until the end. But Jesus was with them, and I think the same is true for us. And because Jesus likes to eat, he's inviting you to the table to eat with him, to break bread with him so that you can see and experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. All of the one who gave himself for you. Let's pray.